Trash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. And the Sports Bash is live on a Wednesday edition here on 97.3 ESPN, the free mobile app. And don't forget, watch the show live on our website, 97.3ESPN.com. I'm your host, Mike Gill. That's Hunter Brody. Josh Henning's producing today's show. You out there. Hopefully you're enjoying your last day without snow because apparently people are going to get dumped on in the next uh, couple of days. Is that what you're hearing? That is what I'm hearing, yes. And I don't know how to feel about it because I love snow, but at the same time, I slipped and hurt my back. Still hurt? Oh, yeah. I'm not having fun with this whole falling on black ice and shoveling. But I do love the snow, so I'm torn. I'm out on the snow. I don't care if I ever see snow again. That's how I feel about that. Well, you love it when you watch football in it, right? Or you don't really too much for no. Me. Like when you watch an NFL game, it's week seven, week eight, random in the middle of the week, and it's all snow. It's fantastic. When do you see a week seven? Game oh, I don't know. Snow? I just I just meant middle of the season. Maybe more like, like playing week a game in Alaska. Yeah, maybe that would be nice. All right, let's push it back a little. Greenland. Bit. Shame on me. Week thirteen. All right, week thirteen. I, I apologize. Seven, six, fifteen. Does, does it matter the week or does it matter Sometime the snow? Sometime after Thanksgiving is when you get the snow Okay, game. you're too focused on the, the wet. <laughs> I'm talking about watching the guys run out there on the turf with the snow. Oh, boy. Well, I don't need any snow. That's what I know. So uh, we had no flyers last night because of the COVID, but we got a good Sixer game last night. And I can tell you, I don't know, did you stay up for the whole Sixer game? You're a young guy. You did. I did. I did do that. I thought it was one of the more impressive wins of the year. Really? Yeah. What about you? I thought it not was. Not that impressed. No, I'm not that impressed, but I'm not going to knock them for winning either. I thought they needed to make some plays in the fourth quarter. The The defense in the second quarter was atrocious. The Kings defense as a whole was embarrassing. What did Nadu tell us yesterday? Yeah, brutal. He said they're probably statistically one of the worst defenses ever. 30th in the league right now. We thought Brooklyn was bad. They're 27th. So. This team was 30th, and the Portland Trailblazers, who they see, is 29th. They see them next. Wow. So, yeah, well, sometimes you just kind of get into the pace of, like, your opponent. Definitely. And I think the third quarter and the fourth quarter, I think the Sixers said, we're not going to play your pace anymore. I thought Ben Simmons had a tough time with De'Aaron Fox. Not that he's an easy – not that he's easy to defend, <laughs> but – It's not a great matchup for a guy I, like Ben Simmons. I know, but I'm saying Ben is – it's it's weird to see him like that. It's almost uncommon. Well, I mean, it's weird the fact that we think that Simmons should be able to stick with De'Aaron Fox. That's the weird part. The guy's six foot ten. I know, but he De'Aaron sticks Fox everybody. is like – He's like Allen Iverson out there. Can you imagine thinking to yourself, that's how good Ben Simmons is, is that at six foot ten, we think that he should be able to handle De'Aaron Fox. That's yeah, like saying, hey, I think that Dikembe Mutombo should essentially guard Allen Iverson. Yeah, but it's different because Ben Simmons but I'm saying, doesn't that's have the same how frame. good Alan, uh, Ben Simmons is. That's how unbelievable of an athlete that he is, that at six foot ten, we anticipate that he does have the foot speed and the ability to stay with a guy who has the speed and quickness of Allen Iverson. I mean, when you're watching De'Aaron Fox out there, he's Allen Iverson's speed. His explosion is unbelievable. I mean, maybe he's like a a snippet behind Allen Iverson, but like he's more in the Iverson's speed and explosion. And yet we think that Ben Simmons 
should be able to handle him. But he can. I think he could do a better job than he did last night on him. I don't think it was his best performance defensively. And, of course, I'll credit De'Aaron Fox for that. But I do believe that Ben Simmons can give you more than he that's did last a, night. That's a, t- like, that's a tough matchup. Sure it is. If you were going in a seven-game series and you had De'Aaron Fox, the problem that the Sixers essentially have is they don't have a great – well, they do, Ben Simmons. They don't have a traditional on-ball defender. Ben Simmons is their on-ball defender. The problem is you get a guy, and they've had problems like this in the past, when they match up with a guy like Kyrie Irving when he was with Boston. Ben Simmons, being six foot ten, he has the length, but those particular guys who are on that next level of speed, he's fast, but he doesn't have the foot speed and quickness to keep up with that level of guy. That's where they have problems. Remember the one year where they played Brooklyn and they, they you know, Brooklyn has all those guards and the Sixers just don't have a guy to kind of take the ball handle at because Ben Simmons is your on-ball defender. And if you have those quick guards, he has a little bit of problems with them. Yeah, you see that all the time still. I mean, there's still guards that have some explosive nights sometimes. And yeah, Dinwiddie was the one that consistently went off against them. And every time they played a guard. And I also think, not so much just Ben specifically, but the way that Brett Brown utilized that defense where he would sag the big man back. That would allow the guards to get in that soft pocket area, and they would constantly have that mid-range game. So I think scheme also was a big reason why you had some of those guards do the damage that they did. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I the point you're making is valid. Like, yeah, Ben Simmons, we anticipate that he should be able to vent. I kind of felt going in he was – he was going to have a tough night at the office. Now, not the whole night, but he just can't play at that level against a player like Fox all night long. A lot of people don't see Fox, but, man, he is explosive. Matisse, Matisse didn't have an issue with him, not in that fourth quarter. You know, it's funny that you say that because I was watching that game late in the game, and Matisse, and you almost get to the point. Remember last week I had kind of like this come-to-Jesus moment where I'm like, I'm not trading Ben Simmons for Harden. Like, I, I, I've i changed my mind on whether I would do that. Um, Thibel, I'm not saying is Ben, but he's almost in that category now where he's such a valuable piece to just say, ah, I'll just get rid of him because he doesn't score. It's almost like, do I really want to think about doing that? Do I really want to just get rid of Matisse Thibel because he's not a great shooter? What he brings defensively to this team, and let's be honest, Broads, if they're going to win a championship, if they're going to be in that conversation, it's not because they're this explosive offense. It's because they're well-rounded offensively, but they have something the other teams don't. They play a defense at another level. Milwaukee doesn't do that. Brooklyn certainly doesn't do that. I just wonder, though, because you got to give a little to get a little. And we talked about Kyle Lowry, for example, where you would still have that defensive intensity and you would be able to add a little bit more on the offensive side as well, where if you do bring a guy in like Lowry and say it does cost you Matisse Thibel, I'm sure that there's people banging on the table right now saying, no, there's no way in hell because you're very emotional after the, the most recent game. There's people screaming that we need to get rid of Danny Green after last night's game when Danny Green carried Seth Curry for the last three games. It's it's ridiculous how each game has this whole new narrative to it. But I think Kyle Lowry would be a good example, though, because you will benefit and you would still have that defense and you're going to have to give up a little bit for it. Would you be anti that move? Hypothetically. No, I mean, I I understand if you're getting a player of that magnitude, a Kyle Lowry, somebody who, uh, uh, Oladipo, those guys who are all like the, the, the lower level all-star player, you know, not the superstar, not the perennial all-star, the guy who makes the all-star game kind of here and there. 
those guys, yeah, you got to give a little bit more. So those guys, I think I would be okay with. I'm talking about if you're getting like the one year guy who's going to just come in and have like a role, like be the role player, you know, because he scores more. We're so enamored with scoring. And in the league today, we're so enamored with three point shooting. And it's like, well, if I can find a three point shooter and I can trade. Like, people are willing to trade Thibault to get back a player who could shoot better threes than he can. That's just the mindset that most fans have. Where I'm watching him last night thinking to myself, how do you think about getting rid of this guy? How well, do you, you do it? You get something back in return that's valuable. That's the only way you think about doing it. But I'm with you. If you're getting that that guy who's going to give you 15 minutes off the bench, 12 minutes off the bench, and he's like a, right. like a Wayne. How about J.J. Redick? What if I told you you were trading Thibault to get J.J. Reddick. I think you have J.J. Reddick's role already filled, so I would not be... I personally don't think I would do that. I think you have that filled, and Danny Green and Seth Curry, and I don't love it, but I know Doc Rivers will utilize it for Concord Moss. You have the three guys. You need a fourth spacer that does something that three guys already do. So, me personally, I think you already have that role. Yeah, I, I said before, I wouldn't give up anything to get Reddick. Like, if he was available and he wanted to come here just, uh, you know, schlep rock in here at, like, the veterans minimum once he becomes a buyout or something at that point, maybe I think about him, but I'm not giving up anything of value. I'm not giving up Diable. I'm certainly not giving up. I think up a Mackie. guy you were speaking about maybe was like a Terrence Ross. Would you give up a Matisse Diable for like a one back stretch of a Terrence Ross? No, I don't think so. Right. That, but I think that's the kind of the category you were thinking about when it's like, I'm not going to give anybody up for well, this veteran guy who comes in just because he shoots better than maybe I some. I think Dybul is, look, he has room to grow as an offensive player. But right now, I don't think Doc Rivers is even saying to hey, He's probably like, don't worry about your offense. That's what you're not, you're not here for that. Like, we need you to be this guy. This is what we need from you right now. So, yeah, would it be nice? Don't worry about that aspect of your game right now. You're a young guy. We got plenty of time to work on that worry about your defense and what that does to help this team out to win games. I just wonder if it limits your rotation because do you have to make sure other guys are off the floor when he's on the floor just because of spacing purposes? Do you have to make sure that when Matisse Thibault's out there, you have X, Y, and Z out there as well because of the lack of spacing when we talk about playoff basketball? I wonder how Doc Rivers is going to utilize this rotation. And I also wonder... How long can you play him? If you play him 35 minutes, 30 minutes, do you get the same impact that you do at 22? Is he so successful because you get him in spurts more so than sticking him on one of those top-tier guys all game long? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and it gives you – Thibault gives you the versatility to not have to use Ben all the time. That's the one thing I like about – And I was Danny watching, Green. Yeah, and Danny Green to some extent, but I think Thibault's a better defender than Danny Green is and he's a more athletic defender. Thibel can get into defending guards. I don't think Green is a guy who you can use against a guard all night. That's a good point. Yeah, for sure. But I, a difference. Yeah, oh, for sure. No you know, like That's like saying, hey, I want you to defend De'Aaron Fox as opposed like for Danny Green to defend De'Aaron Fox, it's going to be a tough day at the office. But Danny Green was defending James Harden. I, I was thinking about that last night when I was because people but were Harden's so upset. your He's more of a wing guy. For sure. But I just think it's crazy that you have the ability for a whole half to put Danny Green on James Harden. The fact that that's a possibility where it's not a disaster is pretty damn impressive for what this team, because then you could put Ben Simmons on a Kevin Durant. Think about yeah. how big that is. It is. And look, I thought last night, 
They kind of got into the Kings game. No, keep in mind, this isn't the same Kings team. They had won like four or five in a row. This is a much better Kings team. And you had a night where Buddy Heald, who has not shot the ball all that well this year, he's feeling it from three last night. Uh, Fox was obviously a tough matchup for everybody, but this Sixers team in general. But I thought they got into the Kings game plan and then got out of it and made the Kings play their game. And their defense just absolutely took that game over in the second half. But, I mean, again, I don't know that it shows up in the box score, but I thought Simmons was a another huge factor last night in that game because it was a night where, by the way, in Joel Embiid, I, I, I was watching this game and I, and I was thinking about to our conversation about the whole process and the people who hated it and they didn't win a championship yet. And I said, can you imagine if we didn't get to watch this guy? Some of the stuff that he does is just un believable that we are going to get to watch this guy for the next X amount of years do this. And it's unbelievable. But I really thought that he wasn't as big of a factor last night at times. I mean, he just makes like he has buddy healed on him. What the hell's healed going to do? And he just kind of crosses healed over, does a fadeaway jumper from the foul line. It's like, dude, this guy's seven foot two, 250 pounds. And he does that to you. It's beautiful to watch. It really is. And I actually tied our conversation with Yaron Weitzman yesterday because I saw he went to the free throw line and he was kind of hanging on his knees. And I'm pretty sure it was Tobias Harris who gave him one of those, like hit his chest and told him to like, kind of like, hey, make sure you're you're standing upright. Almost as if we talked about the posture thing, which I thought was really interesting in his article. And it was almost as if, as if we saw that happen last night where he was huffing and puffing, hands on the knees on the side, on the on the free throw line, waiting to get the ball. And Tobias Harris kind of fixed his posture up a bit. And I just kind of tied that all together. And I thought also, and Bede's the leader. We know that. For Tobias to kind of also hold Joel and Bede accountable, knowing what he needs to do. It's like, yo, Joel, you got to do this. I love that part that that Tobias Harris is now stepping up on the floor, being that more of a physical leader as well. Well, <laughs> look, Embiid, the way he's playing, I've said this for the last two years with Embiid. I think Embiid can be the best player on the best team that wins a championship. He might not have been that guy or ready to be that guy two years ago, that guy last year, but you're now because a lot of people thought, oh, you can't win with a big man. You can't win the championship. I question have it. the big guy be your guy. And it's like, look, the guy's 24 years old. He's barely played any basketball in his life. Let the guy play. Let him make some mistakes. Let him learn the game. And I think you're seeing the fruits of that labor right now. But, you know, I thought Simmons last night again controlled almost the whole fourth quarter. You know, he didn't. Have a like what do you have last night? 14 points. Yeah, he had nine in the first quarter. Yeah, he he was aggressive Ben early, but then he kind of got out of that and which pisses me off. He had 14 points, didn't score a whole heck of a lot, but you know, he had the nine assists. But late in that game, you know, people I saw people, oh, they're playing four on five. He's a he's at I was like, I don't think people understand what he's doing out there. Like, if you watch Ben, just watch him without the ball, even when he doesn't have the ball in his hands where he's just kind of pointing to people, telling them where to go, telling them where to go, get the spacing, do that. He just directs the whole thing. It's pretty interesting to watch him when he doesn't have the ball because a lot of times you'll be watching him and it looks like he has no idea where he's supposed to be. Sometimes you're like, dude, get out of the way. It's almost like he doesn't know where to go. But there's these other times when he has the ball and he's just so patient with everything he does. And it just sets up these baskets that end up being 
just if you're the king, just a frustrating basket because you're like, how did that guy get so open? And it's like, well, because Simmons just lulled your whole defense to sleep. And every team lulls that defense to sleep. Down. Yeah, well, yes, <laughs> they do. But I'm saying that just something that he does so well. And I don't think people appreciate that all, all that much because it's not like this great skill that you take notice of is, man, this guy's really patient with the ball, with his back to the basket, drawing defenders to him and finding guys. But it's like, man, there's that open layup again. There's an open cutter coming down. There's an open. And I was like, man, this guy is just I'm really enjoying watching Simmons here in this last month. I'll tell you that. He's been playing, yes, compared to what he was earlier in the season when he was frustrating and he was making us rip our hairs out. There's no doubt about it that this is a different version of Ben Simmons. And if this is the version you can get later on, this team could do some serious damage. I think it's fair that we are we all kind of wonder, can it get done in the playoffs? And that's fair. Well, but yeah, a if, lot of it if this is the version you get, then yes, I'm I'm all in on this team being able to make that run. I just don't believe it until I see it. Yeah, a lot of it, get is- it done. Uh, predicated on the guys around him, like them basically um, keeping their end of the bargain, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's what it is. But that's like that's who Ben Simmons is. He's not a scorer. That's not who he is. Like it's time to realize that. But for Simmons to be the optimum level of Ben Simmons, it is predicated on the guys around him keeping up their end of the bargain. In other words, you have to have guys that are good enough to be able to hit open shots. He's going to get you. You know, they threw up the stat during the game. Think about this. He leads the league in assist to three-pointers, and he has been the top of that category for years. Think about the three-point shooters he's had on this team. You're thinking to yourself, how the hell did he lead that category with Josh Richardson and Al Horford clanking threes up there for him? So that kind of shows you years past that he was getting now he was getting those guys open looks because no one was worried about defending them but again I go back to this is where these teams are having some problems is now they have guys that can knock those shots down I mean last night Curry hit four three-pointers so it's like I can't sag off a Curry because if he catches one he's he's gonna hit one on me so I gotta make the decision and I and Simmons I think as he's getting into this offense more he knows that like he's smart enough to realize you can't sag off of him I'm gonna go and the second you do I will hold that ball a split second longer, and that's when Curry will get you. And, you know, Green did not have a good night last night shooting the ball, but he had a couple of open looks that you would hope that other nights he gets them. Uh, Harris had a couple of open looks and banged down two threes last night. So it's just, you know, it's one of those things I thought in the second half the offense really changed when Simmons kind (laughs) of oddly got less aggressive because he was playing at the Kings' pace and they changed the pace of the game. He kind of changed the pace of the offense, and that was predicated a lot off their defense, too. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think that all just generated based off of them slowing down the defensive side, which then allowed them to counter when they got a stop with a nice offensive possession. Yeah, the first quarter, they scored 42 points. Because you get three guys that went over 20 last night. Yeah, yes, you did. And Tobias, he struggled throughout the majority of the game, but the fourth quarter came in. It was like there was a stretch where there was (laughs) – The Kings got 8,000 offensive rebounds on one possession. It was pretty damn annoying, which they got the kick out to Buddy Heald for three, who missed it. And after that possession, Tobias hit a three in the corner. Matisse Theibel got a big-time block. And then Shake Milton in the corner knocked down a three. And from there, the Sixers pretty much rolled with it. So that was that turning point in the fourth quarter. And it started with Tobias Harris knocking down that three. And I thought he showed some big-time leadership. And he's done that a few times this year. I'm at the point where I'm starting to get convinced that this is who... 
Tobias Harris is going to be this season. Are, are you convinced about Ferk? We got to put a message up on the uh, board here. Nadir says, Broad said Ferk wouldn't get any playing time after acquiring Curry and Green, but Ferk seems to have a bigger role this year than last year. No, he doesn't. He was <laughs> he was the sixth man off the bench last year, so he doesn't have a bigger yeah, he, role. Although he played, based off of personnel reasons, he had some nice shot. He, he was two he was two for two at a time last night. He had a couple of threes. Did you see the defense early on? You won't see anything like that in the playoffs. If he does that against teams in the playoffs and half-court sets, then I will come oh, up here and say... their uh, defense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the defense game. Come on. I mean, that is brutal. The fact that you even put that out there on the court in the NBA, it looked like I was watching... I hate when that happens, but I know it's how the NBA regular season works. It felt like when they dribble the ball up nonchalantly, pop a three, the other team comes down, pop a three, the other team comes down, spinorama, pops a three. It feels like I'm watching an L.A. fitness game. Uh, Broad says Cork is unplayable in the playoffs. My question is, why does Doc play him so much? What is it that Broad sees that Doc doesn't? Can't the coaching staff see that Ferk is unplayable? Well, the ironic thing is, Brett Brown played him, and everyone ripped Brett Brown for playing Ferk on Corkmoss. Now Doc does it, and now Doc is a genius coach for realizing Ferk. He Furk played on 17 minutes last night, by the way, to the yeah, no, message. I, I know, but I just so he's not playing major major minutes he comes in he has his role he comes in stretches the defense with the second unit and if he knocks down a couple threes in that particular night then he's useful if he's not then he's not useful right I just don't think he's going to get that time and space in the postseason to be able to do it he's your look there's plenty of guys that have NBA regular season roles I think it we talked about yeah. this right when look, Joe Harris is the best three-point shooter in the league when he got to the playoffs though teams take you out and that's my biggest concern with Furcon every year. It's like, here's this guy who plays such a big role for your, not big role, but he plays a role in your regular season. And then you got to pretty much take away that role that you used all 82 games long. You can't even utilize that method anymore because he can't play in the postseason. It's almost as if you wasted that spot if he's not going to be able to play when it matters. Because you play 82 games with him playing 17 minutes. Then you get to the playoffs, you can't use him. Well, what did you learn about that then? What did you learn all regular season long? Well, every team shortens, tightens their rotation. Yeah, but he's playing. He's a guy that comes off your bench rather early. Not He's not one of those back-end guys. So if he's a rather early off-the-bench guy who's not going to be able to play minutes in the reg, in the postseason. Well, I think I, he I is, know. though. I think he's, like, he's got to get, sh- get a shot well, at 17 it. 17 minutes. And if he's hitting his threes, he gets more minutes. You think and he if plays he's 17 not, minutes in a playoff game? No, not necessarily. In a regular season game, as I just said, if he's hitting his shots, he gets more minutes. If he's not hitting his shots, he doesn't get the minutes. So he was hitting his shots last night. So they like gave him some more minutes. I mean, he's five of seven from the field, two of three from three point range. I mean, he's a lot of that happened in the first quarter when they scored forty two points. Oh, well, first, but, it, but first that end pace of the, first, of the game, quarter. that pace of the game kept him in it. Yeah, that's it was him. up and down, and it allowed him to get some open looks, and he took advantage of the open looks. Now, if it's a night when he gets these open looks and he's ice cold. I would imagine that he's not going to get those extended minutes. Yes. But in the playoffs, I agree. Like, I'm not counting on Furkan Korkmaz to play 25 to 35 minutes in a playoff Seven, game. if that. I mean, you're way more down on him than, than I think you just do it to grind people's gears. But he's I would never. Yeah, he certainly is a guy. I think he has improved his game offensively, too. He's more than just a three-point shooter. He's not great at putting the ball on the floor, but he can add. He's trying. He's added a little bit more to the game than just that. But I'll tell you what, 
he catch when he catches and shoots, man, he's got the quickest release out there. My God. He went from, I think that one year that really destroyed him, 32%, which is funny because everyone called him a three-point specialist. I'm like, the guy's shooting 32%. How is that a three-point specialist? He did improve to 40. My problem isn't the offensive side, though. My problem's the other side. I'm not knocking him for his three-point shooting and, and from that side of the floor. All my concerns really rely on one area of his game, which you see guys lick their chops, lick their chops when they see him out there on the defensive side. It's easy. Get a switch and dominate. You saw it happen last night, too, a couple times. He's he's a tough watch on that end. All right, Sports Best brought to you by Maplat Nissan. The all-new Maplat Nissan is now open on the Black Horse Bike in Egg Harbor Township next to Home Depot. Online, MaplatNissan.com. This is the Sports Best. Watch the show live. On our website, 973ESPN.com. Yep, you can watch the show on your Comcast remote. Just hit the little microphone button and say, watch the Sports Bash, and you can stream that to your television. You can listen on the free mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. This is the Sports Bash. Coming up, Paul Hunter inside the Sixers, Jeff Mosher. Philly's made a couple of moves. We'll get into what they're doing. And uh, Joe Girardi said something that we will get into. But when we come back, the latest on Carson Wentz. There's some new news coming out, and we have it next. 73ESPN.com, and you can watch the show live. Very easy to do. What's going on, everybody? I'm Mike Gill. I'm the one dressed in blue. Broads is over there. He's got the hat on. A little ski hat today. The ski hat's for when the snow comes. Correct. I'm mentally preparing. <laughs> I'm mentally preparing. Well, you know what's going to happen. We won't get any snow. That's what I said last time, and we got bombarded. So I feel at this rate we're going to get bombarded for like two hours. You did up by me. I was swarmed. I was. Did you need a snowblower? I I did. I did. I should have called Moose. That's amazing. Oh man, latest on the Eagles. Some news uh, today. If you uh, haven't been paying attention, here we go. Latest on the Carson Wentz trade. Potential trade partners have been unwilling to meet the Eagles' demands for Carson Wentz. Are we getting to the point where we're like, hey, we were told this was imminent. This was going to happen in the coming days. And now teams seem to be unwilling to meet the Eagles' trade demands. From what I'm understanding here, Broads, is they want the almighty uh, Matthew Stafford deal. I I know that Howie Roseman is clearly playing this to try and get as much as he possibly can, but I just don't know because we we understand that Howie Roseman leaks stories. They leak information. They want certain things out there. Well, guess what? The Bears are doing the same thing. The Colts are doing the same thing. All these organizations do this. So when we hear that this is the case, what's real and what's not? I just don't know what to believe anymore when they say Howie's asking for this and this guy doesn't want to do that. And it's all smoke and mirrors. This is what they do. This is how they operate. So I truly don't know what to believe. And I'm not saying this is how the Eagles operate. I'm saying this is how the league works when you pull off a trade at this level. There's a lot of cat and mouse stuff happening. The cat and mouse game is, hey, the Eagles are asking for too much and we don't want to get involved. Or is it, hey, we're just going back and forth. It's probably they're just going back and forth. That's how I see So you're it. not buying like the whole, this is falling apart, I guess. No. I got an email this morning from a uh, pretty, pretty plugged in person that says the Eagles are dreaming they will never get a first round pick for Wentz. He's a headache. He's expensive, and locker rooms don't want him. Well, I don't know who that person obviously is, but I, I will say I think that's a little extreme. 
I, look, and obviously this this person's respected, as you're saying. But I, which I, I responded, by the way, I agree. If you had a first round pick on the table, you would have taken it by now. Response. Exactly. I'm not disagreeing with the first round thing. I'm saying the the fact that like no teams won him and he's a huge pain. Well, I think he's a his huge point headache. was they don't have teams lining up. So if you have one or two, don't piss them off. Okay, that's fair. I can get behind that for sure. If that's the message, I can support that message. But I do think that like, don't insult their intelligence because right. you don't have other ones to go turn to. Right. That's fair. I can absolutely 100% support that logic. I just, I don't know if it's as, I think, you know, Frank Reich would want his hands on him again or else they wouldn't have even been in the conversation. And their GM made it clear that they were in talks with the Eagles. So there clearly is some sort of conversations happening about it. Yeah, Mike Kay from the Star-Ledger, that's n8j.com, reports that teams have been unwilling to meet the demands. And he adds in the story that the Eagles don't want to give Wentz up for much less than what the Lions got for Matthew Stafford. The Colts have asked for a player along with Wentz to help close the gap while Chicago is, quote, growing impatient with the Eagles. So this is interesting. The Colts have asked for a player. How many people have messaged us on our um, you know, stream board that why not include Zach Ertz? So would the Colts say, is Frank Reich saying, I'll take er uh, Wentz, but I want Ertz with him? It's possible. I don't know why the Eagles would say no to that. Right, because you want to get Although, rid of Zach Ertz anyway. If you're saying, if I want to add, are they saying, hey, if I add Ertz, I want another draft pick, or I want another, you know what I mean? Well, what's Ertz's value without Wentz? If you said, I'm trading Zach Ertz today, what do you think Zach Ertz's value is? I don't know. I mean, I, I, there's people out there, a buddy of mine, he's all, oh, he's broken down, he's he's damaged goods. I don't think I agree with that. I, I think Ertz just got hurt this year, and it's not like he stunk the year before. He's still been a pretty productive guy. I, I think mean, he's only emotional. 30, 31 years old. I don't think he's going to be the guy that he was a record setter, but I still think, look, my big problem with Ertz over the years has been, you know, no, no, yeah, exact. Where we live, you get hit and he goes down immediately. The next tackle he breaks will be the first tackle ever, but he's still highly productive at catching the ball. But at an older age, is he going to be able to get open as as well is he going to be able to get that you know what made him a tough matchup is he was very athletic at the tight end position and he found little spots he was able to get open because of his speed and athleticism at that position is that going to diminish now that he's beat up a little bit I don't think it's going to to that degree I still think he has the capability of doing it and I'm not saying that it's right but I truly feel that the relationship between the organization and he can kind of feel the room and understand that his time here in Philadelphia was coming to an end I think that played a role in, in the way that he played out there. And, and once again, I don't think that that's right. You should, and I'm not saying he's, he's clearly a professional. He probably could have handled this year better emotionally. But I do feel that that played a role in his body language, in his mentality, and maybe his preparation. And if he goes to another organization and has a fresh start, I think he can still come back and be a productive guy. Stan Jones uh, is watching on YouTube. He says, is Wentz more like Stafford or Goff? Rams had to give a first to dump Goss contract. It's an interesting question. Who is he more comparable to? Wentz to Goff or Wentz to Stafford? I don't think Wentz's contract is a dump contract where it's like, hey, we got to get rid of this. Let's dump this on you kind of thing. I think there's still more of the intrigue, more of the upside with Wentz. I don't, it's somewhere in between, I would say, I guess, because I don't look at Wentz's contract as a dump contract. We got to get rid well, of this Well, the thing. team that gets Wentz is getting a good deal. Exactly. The Eagles are the ones that have the crappy end of the deal because of all the language built into it about the dead money. If you get out of the contract early, that was built in to protect Wentz from, from getting traded, essentially. Wentz didn't want, he wanted to make 
Look, Rob Motti has been on the show a lot from the Associated Press, and he talked about it. Wentz doesn't want to have to leave. He's got the foundation here, that AO1. He's got the food truck. His family's here. He doesn't want to have to move his wife and kid all over. He wants to, he wants to be a guy that establishes a residency in that community. So he doesn't want this. It's got to be really bad for Wentz to say, I'm willing to try to. Now, his kid's very young. I don't, don't even know that the kid's one years old yet. So it's like, you better make that decision now before your kid turns two, three, and you're like, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. If he really doesn't want to uproot his family and move them. But keep in mind, the next place he goes, he has to start the foundation over, the food truck, and all the things uh, that he has built in this community. He's got to start from scratch. I mean, not that that's all that hard, but he's established that here. That is very true. And I kind of want to bring something up that Josh and I were talking to PT about yesterday. And it was, do you think that when Carson Wentz comes back here, he gets booed? Is he a guy that, that you just destroy here if you're a fan base? Because there's supporters. There's also guys that hate him and, and always thought he stunk for the last four years and wanted him gone back then. So his presence, how do we feel about him if he comes back against the Eagles? Is it a boo? Is it an appreciation? Or is it a mix of both? You can hear the boos on the left side of the link and on the right side of the link, there's some cheers. How do you think the reaction would be to Wentz coming back to Philly? Uh, probably in the early portions, I would imagine it's mixed. Yeah. It's typically later on down the road is when the Philly fans re-embrace you. I don't think he deserves the boo, but because everyone's going to look at this and say, oh, he's a horrible person, horrible teammate, he's uncoachable, this and that, so hard-headed, and because that's the storylines that pop up with these headlines so much over the last year and a half or so, two years, I think that will draw everybody into the harsh boo. I think it would turn into a, a really disgusting boo, if I had to guess. Really? I, I really do believe I so. I don't know. I, I like... I feel that the Wentz supporter and Wentz fan is the non-vocal Yahoo. The supporter. Right. Like, if you're a Wentz fan, you're you're not a Yahoo. You're not like... But, but that defends my point of these guys are going to be so outrageously mad at Wentz that they would probably overpower the supporters. Because the supporters aren't... What are they going to do? Like, of course, they're cheer, but the, yeah, the like drunk get... boo is a powerful message. Yeah, I don't know. That's it. Uh, I don't know. I I feel like the they are the vocal majority that listen to our shows. They're the people that are passionate and they're somewhat irrational day to day. I think the person who likes Wentz and supports Wentz probably doesn't consume the product all the time, and it doesn't control their lives. That Carson Wentz is not the MVP candidate that he was in 2017. That's not a bad thing or a good thing. Each person is their own level of fan. But I think that some fans are, oh, I want to say, take it a little bit more seriously than others. When you watch That's him not play. A knock, no, I understand, I understand completely what you're saying. When you watch him in another uniform, if, when, do you think deep down you'd be rooting for him to succeed? Do you, do you not care because he's not here anymore? Like, how do you think you would feel about Wentz in another uniform watching him? Would you want him to stick it to the ownership and flip him the double bird like Josh did us the other week? Or you know, I, how do you think you'd feel? Well, like Andy Reid, I, I root for Reid because I thought the people out here who thought Reid was, was a bad coach were just absolutely morons. And 
Look, I thought Reed, by the way, did not have a good Super Bowl. And I don't know how much of the whole thing with his son kind of played a factor with this. But, look, the guy can coach. He's been to the Super Bowl back-to-back seasons. He was there with the Eagles. He won a Super Bowl. The guy, all he does is win. Is he the? Is he a flawless head coach? No. But these people out there that think that Andy Reed did not do a good job, I don't know who you want. Like, you want Vince Lombardi mixed with Bill Belichick, mixed with, you know, Joe Gibbs in his heyday, like – there is no perfect head coach, so you have to take that into consideration. Yeah, Reed has flaws. They all have flaws, but take the flaws out of it. Reed's one of the best. So I kind of always been pulling for Reed to say, look at these idiots who thought that Reed couldn't coach, and look what he – I mean, he's like the – he's one of the – probably going to go down as one of the top ten head coaches of all time, and yet these eagle morons didn't think that he could coach. So – I don't know that I feel the same way about Wentz that I just wanted to go out there and be like the greatest quarterback of all time, but I'm not going to sit there and say, man, I hope this guy sucks. Yeah. Well, there are people who do feel that way. By the way, when you're talking about the perfect coach, don't forget a sprinkle of Nick Sirianni on top. Uh, when, uh, Come on. What? I don't know. Look, he could be the greatest coach ever. Who knows? Could you imagine that? If Howie Roseman, after all this, ends up pulling out the next Bill Belichick or Andy Reid. Hey, he's done it before. He found Andy Reid. That's true. They did hire Andy Reid. He hired no Andy one knew who he was. And nobody knew who he was. Look, they hired Doug Peterson, and nobody was going to hire Doug Peterson. And like him or not, Doug Peterson did something that no other coach in this town has done. He won the Super Bowl. I feel like we've kind of forgotten that. He won the Super Bowl. And three years later, this is like the whole thing. Like, I just can't be like, you went from winning the Super Bowl to idiot. No, I agree with you. Those things I, I agree me, with you. I'm not saying because you won a Super Bowl or because Howie Roseman built a roster that won on the Super Bowl that that automatically means he's going to do it again. But I can't fault Jeffrey Lurie for saying, hey, I'm going to give you another chance to try to do it again. I, w- I would love to know, though. See, I agree. If Howie Roseman, and it was clear, this is his last chance, I wonder if the fan base would feel different about it. If you knew. This is the last chance, but it feels like he has this leash that's so long that if he screws up here, he'll still be safe. And I think that's where the stress and the frustration really comes in for the fans because they feel that this is always going to last no matter what. If he does a bad job, it doesn't matter. If we knew that this was his final go at it, I think there would be more of a a calmer situation. I I don't agree. You don't think so? (laughs) No. It seems like his job is never, ever, ever, ever on the table. I mean, I agree with what you're saying, but your job gets questioned when the team loses. They've lost once. They had a losing year this year, which was clouded by a lot of injuries. The last time they had a losing season was what? 2016. Seven and nine. So it's hard to say like, hey, the team doesn't win. They win. They win. It's what they do. They they constantly one. I know people, they didn't win to the level that people want. I get that. But they don't have losing seasons. You change, you make changes like that when your team is 4-12 and 12 and 4-12 and 12 and 6-10 and 10 and 5-11 and 11 and you can't get out of that rut. They had a bad season in 2012. They won 10 games the next year. They didn't lose again. They had another 10-win season. They won 9-7, you know, like they haven't had these 4-win seasons and they haven't had back-to-back losing seasons all that much either where you're like, oh, we're trending downward. What if they have a four-win season this year? Then I think you're you're in trouble. Okay. Yeah. yeah I think so, too. Yeah. 
Uh, Sports Bash is brought to you by – because then the fan would just be overwhelming. I know they're bad now. It would just be insufferable. Three-win team. Brought to you by East Coast Roofing Siding, serving all of South Jersey. If you call, they'll show up. Find out at eastcoastroofing.com. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. You can watch the show right there. You can also watch the show through your free mobile app. If you download the app to your phone, you can watch the show on your phone. That's a lot easy to do. Very easy to do, too. Or you can put it up on your television screen. A lot of people have been doing that. If you're watching the show on your TV in your house, take a picture and send it in to us on the text board, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. If you're having lunch at your favorite establishment, tell them, hey, can you put the sports bash on TV? That would be cool. That would be very nice of you. All right, so the latest is up on the screen on Carson Wentz. Potential trade partners have been unwilling to meet the Eagles' demands. Is this a game of cat and mouse? I know this text message is kind of interesting here that we just got in uh, from somebody who says, Howie is trying to be the smartest guy in the room with the Wentz deal, and he's running to someone smarter in Chris Ballard. No, I think all these GMs, all these GMs try and get the most bang for their buck. I don't think what Howie Roseman, unless he's so out of touch, which I find it's, it's hard to believe he's that out of touch. But I think he's just doing what most GMs would do, try and get the most for a quarterback like Carson Wentz. Yeah. So Roseman has done a really good job in the trade game. I know people don't want to admit that, but he has made some good trades in the past. You know, and he's been in the situation kind of like he traded Kevin Cobb, remember that, to Arizona. He ended up getting a second-round pick. And players. I mean, he got Kevin Cobb. He got – I think Dominic Rogers, Kermarty was in that deal. I can't remember who else was in that deal, but he ended up getting a second round pick for Kevin Cobb, who couldn't play a lick. He was horrible. Um, he traded Donovan McNabb. I don't. They got um three draft picks back in that deal. They got a second rounder, and I can't remember what else they got. I mean, the problem is people will say, "Well, then they messed up the draft." It's like, geez, okay, uh, you know, I get it. Like they don't hit on every draft pick. I think in that they got Nate Allen. Trevor Laws and Quentin Demps were the three guys they got back in the trade for uh, for Donovan McNabb. Allen was okay. Trevor Laws was like a rotational defensive tackle. Demps was just an average. Uh, he was like a kick returner. Uh, they traded for Darren Sproles for a fifth rounder. Darren Sproles was a pretty nice player for this team. Definitely. And he did. Uh, we mentioned the Jay Jai one. We mentioned the Sam Bradford one. The, the problem is there's some moves that don't relate to this. Like, for example, I don't think Ajayi or Sproles really relates to a Carson Wentz type of deal, but the Sam Bradford one would. They or traded the Sam one Bradford would. away. Very um, tough to do here. They were able to get back a first-round pick and a fourth-rounder. Yeah, I remember the day that happened. I was like, whoa, what just happened? Yeah. Because we didn't think Carson Wentz was going to even play that beginning of the year. And then all of a sudden, the guy you drafted is now ready to rock and roll for his first season. Uh, the anticipation for the season really sparked for me the moment that happened. And they also traded, if you remember, Byron Maxwell and Kiko Alonso. They unloaded those players off, and that allowed them to go uh, up in the draft and draft Carson Wentz. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard, like I said. I think each trade has its own personality. You know, each trade has its own kind of uniqueness to it. And when you're talking about this type of deal, 
I don't know if anything else really relates just based off of Carson Wentz's play last year, the dead cat money hit no, teams knowing that you want to get rid of him so badly. I think that's also something big here to factor in with these other trades Did teams know how bad you really needed to move on from Sam Bradford. No, I mean, it's not even close to the same situation. So you lose that power as a franchise when teams know it's, there's a lot of turmoil involved. So how much does that play a role in how, how you can play your cards out on the table, you know? Yeah, I, I absolutely, you know, another thing is here too, and um, a couple of messages coming in uh, on, you know, our video stream. Stan Jones says, the best thing the Patriots have done over the years is admit their mistakes and move on. Roseman needs to do that. Maybe he is. Maybe he is admitting a mistake. I made a mistake. We gave Wentz money. And he's not the guy that we thought when we gave him that money. So we're going to move on from him and we're going to swallow the, the cap hit. Is that them admitting the mistake? That's very fair. Uh, I mean, I don't, if you ask me what the right thing to do here would be, it would be to keep Carson Wentz and try to fix him. But who's to say that if they went down that road, it wouldn't have failed. And then you're now looking at a quarterback two years down the road with this big contract who can't play. And he's been what he was last year. Do I think that's the case? No. Hmm. But if that was happening, well, then you'd look at Howie Roseman and criticize him and say that he was a bum that kept on Carson Wentz when he should have traded him the year after the downfall. That's what would have happened, right? People would have said, how dare Howie Roseman keep Carson Wentz? It's an interesting take from Sean Pold watching on Facebook. He says, "A lot of I think a lot of people will cheer for Wentz when he comes back because they feel like the organization failed him. The cheering is like a big F you to the organization. See, I feel the majority of people would feel that way. I just think the irrational, drunk, Lincoln financial field people that hate him, sort of like the Folesian society people, they're louder because they like they're the they're Folesian society. Yeah, they have that that I don't know, their little click. They're just loud. So I think that you'd hear a lot of those loud boos. Are a lot of your friends in the Foles click? I have some friends in the Foles click. Yes. Are they irrational friends or like just with that? I think they do it to push my buttons. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Do you? I mean, I know people who are Folsy guys. Yeah, definitely. But are they still? Oh, yeah. I don't know if they want them to come back. That tells you everything you need to know then. But I think that they were like, they should have kept them. They should have got rid of Wentz back then and kept Foles. I can't believe that's still a thing. Uh, Derek is watching on YouTube. He says, I wouldn't give up anything either for a quarterback that can't stay healthy, had a QBR of 49.6 through 15 interceptions, and I can't remember the fumbles he had last year because he holds on to the ball too long. Is health still an issue with him? Uh, I think it's something to think about, no question. Hey, coming back, Jason Fitz. We'll get his opinion on what will happen with Wentz.